I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. the online podcast where we discuss sports and the Oklahoma Sooners on a consistent basis. Unfortunately, I, Rich, will be by myself handling this episode as Matt is still out of the country and we are unable to connect via the internet to record an episode. What I'd like to jump in and discuss here at the front of the episode is really the quarterback battle. I know that there have been several articles that have been written detailing out the quarterback battle and the unofficial non-announcement, if you will, of who that starting quarterback will be when the Oklahoma Sooners take the field against the Houston Cougars here in Norman, Oklahoma. Now, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Lincoln Riley has not brought in a an experienced and a quarterback with the pedigree that Jalen Hurts has in the department of winning as well as leadership to sit on the bench for a final season. Instead, it's widely believed and it's widely accepted that Jalen Hurts will be that starter as the Oklahoma Sooners trot trot out onto the field despite the lack of an announcement. Now, I know I went back and I looked at when the announcements were made previously because this is not a new story for anyone who follows the Oklahoma Sooners. In fact, it happened with Baker Mayfield. The announcement wasn't made until August 24th for Baker Mayfield. And then following him in succession that next year, Kyler Murray was not announced as the starter until August 22nd. There have been several interviews that have been done and recorded. And I know that Lincoln Riley has specifically mentioned wanting to get the quarterback announcement out of the way. That way everybody knows who it is and they can simply move on and continue to prepare for the task at hand, which is not the announcement of a starting quarterback, but rather the opponent that sits on the schedule in front of them. So I say all that to go back and simply say it is widely believed it is widely accepted. And even though an announcement has not been made, Jalen Hurts will be the starter on day one. Instead, what everybody has begun to focus on was the battle for the backup quarterback position. And there are cases that could be made not only for Tanner Mordecai, who is a a redshirt sophomore entering this season, but also true freshman Spencer Rattler. As we begin to look at these two candidates, I want to make a case as well as some arguing points against each of those candidates and then throw out who I think that will be and and kind of double down on my argument there. First up, we have to look at Tanner Mordecai. We can go ahead and assume that Tanner Mordecai has the 
best working knowledge of this Oklahoma Sooners offense. And that's even over a guy like Jalen Hurts. Why? Because Tanner Mordecai has been on campus working in Lincoln Riley's system for the longest period of time. With him entering his second season, technically his third season with the Oklahoma Sooners as a redshirt sophomore, he should be experienced. He should know the inner workings of that system. But one thing we also know about Tanner Mordecai is that he's been in the strength and conditioning program for quite some time now. That strength and conditioning program is what builds the arm of these quarterbacks and allows them to throw the ball down the field. We know that Tanner Mordecai has these things going for him, but he also does not have to face the redshirt restrictions that someone like Spencer Rattler would have to face. Tanner Mordecai can appear in as many games as he would like. It could be 10. It could be 2. It could be 14 for all we know. But Tanner Mordecai does not have to face the same restrictions that we see out of a guy like Spencer Rattler simply due to eligibility requirements as Tanner Mordecai has three years of eligibility remaining at this point. On the flip side of the argument, since Spencer sits Spencer Rattler, excuse me, who seems to be the more athletic guy, he comes in with quite a bit more hype. The route from his high school to the University of Oklahoma started with him being the only five-star recruit in his class, at least according to 247 Sports. Needless to say, he comes in with a lot of expectations as people are expecting Spencer Rattler to carry that banner of QBU into the foreseeable future. Yes, like I said, he's a little more athletic, but he also has this simple fact working in his favor. It's that he's got an established connection with these incoming receivers of Trajan Bridges, Austin Stogner, and Theo Weiss. They were able to connect the opening where they really began that relationship in person and building rapport with one another. However, I still sit on the fence about whether Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma Sooners will burn the red shirt if needed when it comes to Spencer Rattler as he is coming in as a true freshman, as he does have the ability to appear in full games. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a couple of games on this schedule where I expect to see not only Jalen Hurts and Tanner Mordecai, but also Spencer Rattler appear in those. And we also know when it comes to this offense, Lincoln Riley isn't afraid to mix things up. He isn't afraid to build packages around a specific quarterback's skill set in order to be successful on the football field in terms of producing wins. It happened when Baker Mayfield was the starter and Kyler Murray appeared in several of those games. In certain instances, that wasn't garbage time. Is that something that the Oklahoma Sooners will look at doing with a guy like Spencer Rattler, who has the ability not only to, to run or to move out of the pocket, but can also throw the ball? Again, I still sit on the fence with that because I'm not 100% sold that Oklahoma is willing to burn his redshirt season when they've got Jalen Hurts, when they've got Tanner Mordecai, regardless of how talented this freshman is. 
if I'm looking at it and I'm putting my money down on a single entity to be QB2 on day one to back up Jalen Hurts, right now it's it's got to be Tanner Mordecai. And again, I do want to reiterate that that doesn't mean we won't see Spencer Rattler. It just means that he'll be relegated or contained within the four games of a red shirt so that they preserve Spencer Rattler's eligibility. I'm going to take a quick break and I will join you guys on the other side. Once again, you are listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us at Heartland Sports or heartland-sports.com or Sports Heartland at Sports Heartland on Twitter. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Flipping sides of the ball, I'd like to take a quick look at the defense as news coming out of fall camp is not exactly exciting when it concerns specifically the secondary. Throughout preparations, throughout assessing the current situation at the University of Oklahoma within the football program, and more specifically when it comes to the defensive backs, Alex Grinch has said this group severely lacks in depth. That's not to say the talent isn't there, but it means the bodies on the roster, the names on the roster are significantly depleted. It's why we saw Oklahoma go out and begin to recruit players in the secondary, specifically those um, safeties, cornerbacks. It's why we've seen Oklahoma make a hard push for these guys, for these not only names or bodies to be on a roster, but talented guys who are capable of filling a role, who are capable of filling a void and helping this Oklahoma Sooners defense begin to project upward or trend upward instead of staying towards not only the bottom of the conference, but the bottom of the nation when it comes to pass defense. As we begin to look at Oklahoma and the current situation, Oklahoma was dealt a serious blow with an injury to Trey Norwood. Over the past two seasons, Norwood has shown significant improvement. Heading into a junior season, many expected Trey Norwood to anchor the secondary, to be a leader of the secondary, but to also be a consistent and reliable source of defense, whether he was playing the cornerback position or whether he was playing the nickelback position. As a freshman, Norwood stepped onto the field as a cornerback, seemed to excel, seemed to be improving consistently. Last year, he was moved into the nickelback position after um, some struggles from Brennan Redley-Hiles, and he held that position for the remainder of the season. Moving into fall camp, Norwood once again assumed the role of the nickelback and was again making progress there, making strides, at least from everything that I've heard and everything that I read. But he suffered an injury early on. Some media outlets were willing to jump out onto a limb and label that. 
injury as an ACL tear. What we do know is that Trey Norwood was seen on crutches, which would indicate a lower body injury. But here's the question that we're beginning to ask when it really revolves around this specific situation. If Trey Norwood is unable to return, if it is a, as serious an injury as we believe it to be, what's the plan to fill his absence, to fill the role that he would vacate, assuming he's unable to return this entire season? Now, there is a little bit of a silver lining in this for Trey Norwood in that he did start as a true freshman. Yes, he played his sophomore season as well, which means that he still has a red shirt available to him. If he were to miss this entire season, that red shirt would be consumed and he would still have two years of eligibility left at the University of Oklahoma or elsewhere if he so chose to go that route. But here's what it means. If Trey Norwood was going to step in at that nickelback position like many believe that he would have, now that role being vacated, Oklahoma once again will rely solely on Brendan Radley Hiles. Brendan Radley Hiles, I know, came in with a lot of hype. He's still, at least in my opinion, when it comes to instincts, he's he's at the top of the list. He's one of the guys that you would consistently look to because he has something that is not coachable. It's it's built into his DNA. It's who he is, and it is those instincts. It's what made him such a highly rated player coming out of high school, but his stature, his size does not allow him to deliver the big hits like we saw him attempt to make last year, which ultimately led to his injury. Needless to say, if Trey Norwood does set out the entire season, there's going to be a heavy reliance upon Radley Hiles to fill that role. But behind him is where we really have the biggest concern, in my opinion, and that's simply because there is no depth behind Radley Hiles. Oklahoma is going to have to look for another player who's not currently playing the nickelback position to move them into that nickelback position just to have a little bit of depth there if anything were to happen. The prime target, in my opinion, the person I believe who can and most likely will fill that role is Robert Barnes, a guy who's experienced. You can move him inside. It's not too far out of his comfort zone. He should be able to adjust and be able to excel in that role. But it's going to have to happen sooner rather than later. No pun intended there. Secondary to that, there are some incoming freshmen who are either at that safety position or who are just labeled as cornerbacks that could potentially switch into that nickelback role. Again, just to provide a little bit of depth behind Brendan Radley-Hiles with the situation with the injury occurring to Trey Norwood, I do expect Bradley Hiles to be named the starter on day one. It's who's going to fill in behind him. What happens when those struggles creep in? What happens if an injury occurs once again to Bradley Hiles? Who do we turn to? Again, I'm looking at Robert Barnes, but there are several freshmen who could easily fill that role. If Trey Norwood was filling in for depth concerns at the nickelback position and Bradley Hiles was going to be the starter regardless, and Trey Norwood would have filled in at the cornerback position, it brings on a whole new list of concerns. I do expect Trey Brown to be one of the leaders of this defense. I do expect him to start 
at the, one of the cornerback positions. But if Trey Norwood was going to be that second one, now all of a sudden we're looking at another player who's had an up-and-down career during his time in Norman, and that is Parnell Motley. Now, we, we being Matt and myself, have talked on numerous occasions really about the fundamentals of this position. And we've questioned whether those fundamentals were intact or whether it was something that was being forgotten and pushed to the wayside. The ability to, I know Oklahoma has traditionally not stood up on the line of scrimmage and bumped the receivers off of their routes early in order to disrupt the quarterback and his reads. But I'm looking at the fundamentals of the backpedaling, the spacing, as well as the ability to turn your hips and make a play on the ball instead of simply reacting to the eyes of the receiver. Oklahoma has struggled with that. Parnell Motley has had his ups and downs with that throughout his duration with the program. It's something that needs improvement. Parnell Motley, though, is experienced. He can fill that role. Again, assuming Trey Norwood would have been one of the cornerbacks. But I also have to throw out the name Starlin Baldwin, who we have yet to see in the Crimson and Cream. Why? Because he suffered an injury as a true freshman. He is entering, well, it's going to be his redshirt freshman season. And earlier this year, a video was spotted of him showing the recovery process from the injury that ended his freshman season, the explosiveness that he possesses by all means, the eye test of that video. And granted, that's not in competition. Granted, that's in a controlled environment. Starwin Baldwin appeared to play the part of a guy who's ready to step onto the field and who is ready to make an impact with Alex Grinch coming in and knowing that nothing is guaranteed. Starlin Baldwin could be that guy at the cornerback position who steps in and fills a void opposite of Trey Brown. Needless to say, I know that that is a lot of hypotheticals that are going on. And once that depth chart is released, we will see how things shake out. I know I'm particularly intrigued by this defense with a lot of names who are younger guys, but flashed a little bit of brilliance here and there, who flashed the capability of making an impact on the FBS level at the highest level of competition in the college football playoff against what many regarded as the best team in the country, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Speaking of the college football playoff, it brings me to my next point as I want to highlight just one potential breakout candidate for the upcoming season on the Let's offensive side of the ball. After this break, I'll get with, again, you I, are listening to the Sooner Nation me, I podcast. Will, our home, you can find us that. at heartland-sports.com or on Twitter at Heartland Sports. One guy I believe that is overlooked on a consistent basis is at the receiver position, and it is Charleston Rambo. I know that Charleston Rambo has mentioned in a, in a couple of interviews that he believes even himself, he believes that people are sleeping on him. And why? It's actually a very easy argument to make. As Charleston Rambo stepped onto campus, he didn't have the biggest of impacts, but it was expected. When you had 
Kyler Murray throwing the ball to the likes of Grant Calcaterra, Marquise Brown, and C.D. Lamb, there's not many other throws to go around, especially if you're looking to make a consistent impact and name for yourself. These are guys who are NFL bound and attempting to compete with them as a true freshman is setting the bar pretty, pretty high. Now, Charleston Rambo has an opportunity in which he can insert himself or he can accept responsibility for a larger role with his, in this offense. That opportunity is there, but again, Charleston Rambo finds himself being overlooked. Why is that? When we begin to look at this incoming recruiting class, everyone was talking about not only Spencer Rattler at the quarterback position, but they were also talking about the receivers that were coming in. Oklahoma had quite the haul when it came to receivers as you begin to look at the names of Trajan Bridges, Austin Stogner, Theo Weiss, amongst others who are extremely highly touted and are expected to potentially be immediate contributors, Jaden Hazelwood. These guys have that caliber. They have the hype. They have the conversation consistently centering around them, again, because of the ratings that they're bringing in with them from the high school level. Needless to say, we begin to talk about the outgoing class and that incoming class, and anyone in the middle, minus CeeDee Lamb and Grant Calcaterra, has really been left out of that conversation. That's where Charleston Rambo begins to insert his name. When we look at the college football playoff, when we look at Alabama versus Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, what we quickly begin to see is a guy who began to really flash these signs of ability, of the desire to compete at the highest level of a desire to actually make an impact upon each and every game. Charleston Rambo had a career-high three catches for 70 yards, but I think the most memorable catch that he had was a beautiful pass from Kyler Murray as he avoided the blitz, stepped back towards the line of scrimmage, and let one sail down the middle to which Starlin, excuse me, Charleston Rambo was on the receiving end of. It was that defining moment. It was this aha moment where all of a sudden we realized Charleston Rambo can have this breakout season. And it's funny that I'm saying this because last year we had this exact same conversation. If we were looking for a guy who could make an impact, if we were looking for a guy who showed out in the spring game, it was Charleston Rambo. Now here we are again talking about the same name. However, the opportunity is much greater. He does have the experience. He has the year within the system that these incoming freshmen do not have. He also has the year in the strength and conditioning program at the University of Oklahoma, which should hopefully pay dividends as if you haven't seen a picture recently of C.D. Lamb, 
go and compare him to when he was a freshman stepping out on campus for the first time to where he is now. And you'll see exactly what this strength and conditioning program can do for the bodies of these receivers. Not only is it making them stronger and more durable, but it's improving upon the skill set or allowing them to improve upon the skill set and accentuate what they're already good at and make them great at those different characteristics on the football field. If I'm looking for one guy who's a breakout candidate above all else on this roster, it is undoubtedly Charleston Rambo. Guys, that's going to wrap it up for me. Thanks for joining us once again for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Closing this out, um, I do want to say one final thing, and that is in relation to the horns down gesture. If you're not familiar, the Big 12 has yet to define, has yet to actually clarify when and when this will not be penalized. But we do know that if it's used in a taunting fashion during a game, it will be penalized. What that has left us with is some of the Oklahoma Sooner football team attempting to find loopholes in this new rule that will be implemented this season. I noticed on social media, Crete Humphrey during a practice has posted the horns down saying, I guess it doesn't count if it's just practice. I got my got a good laugh out of that. Needless to say, I'm not a fan of the rule. I'm not a fan of the complaints that we hear coming out of Texas and more specifically out of Tom Herman. But I guess this is the world that we live in. Anyway, guys, like I said, that's going to wrap it up for me. Hope you have a good week. Thanks for joining us. Again, you can catch us at heartland-sports.com or at Heartlands, or excuse me, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Have a good week and boomer sooner. Hey, what's up, Oklahoma fans? Matt Hofeld checking in here at the very end of this podcast. Huge shout out and thanks to uh, our man Rich DeCray for carrying the majority of, of this show. Um, if you guys listen to this uh, podcast, you know um, I'm, I'm all over the world. I'm right now traveling from uh, Central America back to, uh, well, I'd say the jungle of Central America to the concrete jungle of New York City. Finally get to be back in Oklahoma, 1st of September, ready for Oklahoma and the Houston Cougars. I wanted to chime in here just for a minute, though, talk about uh, quarterback play in the NFL. Rich did a great job talking about um, – about the quarterback play for the University of Oklahoma this fall. Uh, but what about the guys in the NFL, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, both making their debuts uh, of the season uh, on Thursday night? Of course, Baker Mayfield was the story last year, the uh, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, first overall pick in the draft by the Cleveland Browns. And now Kyler Murray gets to pick up on that and be the story this year. Now, well, it was great that both of them – uh, had fantastic debuts to the preseason. Really, you want to focus more on Kyler Murray for what I just said. He, he's, he's the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. He is the first round draft pick. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and not only is that, you know, he, uh, to me, his story maybe is a little bit bigger uh, than May, Mayfield's, and, and probably not maybe too. I think it is bigger than Mayfield's when you consider the fact that Kyler only played one year of college football. Uh, Kyler came in and was drafted by a franchise that had just drafted a quarterback with their first round pick the year before. So Josh Rosen gets shipped to Miami. The Cardinals make room. They bring in Kyler Murray and they turn this program over to him. Now, how does he respond to that? He responds by going six for seven on his uh, on his one and only drive 
of the night. The Cardinals end up winning 17 to 13 over the Los Angeles Chargers. But it really Murray showed a lot of mobility, the type of thing that made him famous at the University of Oklahoma and made some plays with his legs. Uh, he showed patience uh, there in the pocket uh, and he showed accuracy six for seven, like I said, for 44 yards. His opening drive went 10 plays. And you can see that there were seven passes in 10 plays. That's 70 percent of the offense going through the arm of the quarterback, which is typical for Cliff Kingsbury. But what I want to address really is some of the um, Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning criticism on Twitter. And, and look, it's just going to happen when you're when you're the overall number one draft pick, when you're the Heisman Trophy winner, there's a certain set of people out there who all they want is to see you fail. And criticism is going to come your way and it's going to come your way in bunches. I mean, look no further than what's going on with Cal, Colin Cowherd and, and Baker Mayfield. You know, they're, they're well over a year into their feud. And even though Cowherd has proven to be wrong on this thing, or the way Baker Mayfield has taken over as a leader of that team. He is the man in Cleveland, um, probably the biggest sports figure in Cleveland now since the departure of LeBron James. Everybody, everybody in Cleveland knows who Baker Mayfield is. Everybody in Cleveland is rooting for Baker Mayfield. So, you know, but you've got that certain s- section of the population, be it in the media or be it in the fan base, that's going to want to see you fail. And so even though Murray was spectacular in his debut, uh, there was, you know, he was called out for a couple things, and and really those are things that I'm just going to throw this out there. The, the criticism I've seen is is really exhibiting some football ignorance. It's it's that the one drive he only got one possession. Uh, well, it's not like Murray has any say in that. If you're if you're the Cardinals, you've got thirty million dollars invested in this guy. The last thing you want to do is see him go down in a preseason game. Preseason for a guy like Kyler Murray is is it's about just getting that experience out there and in the lights, checking the speed of the next level. And this guy's going to play a 16-game regular season, so you don't want to throw him out there in ex- any extended time for the preseason, especially when you know he's got a roster spot. There's there's probably close to 100 guys in Cardinals camp right now. They've got to trim that roster down to 53. So you're, you've got to get rid of 40-plus guys uh, if you're the Cardinals coaches. And so that's what these first set of uh, preseason games are about. There, there's probably going to be, probably I'm guessing, preseason game number three where Murray doesn't even play at all. And then as they get that last, you know, last game or so, you're going to see extended time from him. But you can't criticize him for playing time. Uh, the other, the other criticism was short passes. Welcome to the Cliff Kingsbury offense. I mean, if you if you don't know what Cliff Kingsbury does, if you're just getting used to it in the NFL, then you saw it last night. But I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge your short passes, and I'm gonna tell you look at the efficiency of the Cliff Kingsbury offense. Look, look at what they did in those 10 plays. I mean, very efficient, six to seven. And, and no, he didn't challenge him vertical, but it's not like Kyler can't play, can't throw vertical. If, if you're thinking this kid cannot throw vertical, then again, you didn't watch him play in college. He didn't even watch him play in the Orange Bowl against Alabama. He can definitely go vertical, but, and this is, this isn't, I mean, this isn't just fodder out there. This isn't just something that's that's out there to raise comments and get questions, but this is just true. This is factual. What I'm about to say is that the offensive line that Murray played behind last year at the University of Oklahoma is better than the offensive line he's playing for right now with Arizona Cardinals. And, and Kingsbury knows that. He he knows what's there. He knows what's not there. And the best way to distribute the ball when you got a bad offensive line, but a fast quarterback is to roll him out and really take him horizontal, dink and dunk, 
set up vertical, but there's no need to set that up on the very first ever preseason game. Kudos to Kyler Murray for a great debut for the Arizona Cardinals. Kudos to my man, Rich Cray for the first time ever carrying a podcast solo. And uh, we'll be back. Uh, both of us should be together on the podcast next week and uh, another week closer to game week. Have a fantastic weekend and a good start to your week next week. Boomer Sooner, everybody. <laughs>